The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. As I said, uh, we are in our fourth week now in a 41-week series through the book of John. 41 weeks. We're really, really excited just to walk with Jesus over a long period of time. What we're doing by going through John in 41 weeks is um, in giving us the opportunity to kind of defy our culture of, I appreciate it for a moment, I've gotten what I'm going to take from it, and then I'm going to move on, and we just want to walk with Jesus through the book of John and see what he's doing and join him in what he is doing. Um, our introduction that we're going to be reading every week to anchor us in the big theme of John is this. Each of us comes from a very different place. Poor and rich families, safe neighborhoods, and dangerous apartment complexes. Busy inner cities and quiet country towns. Some come from Christian families and some of us have no faith background at all. Since our stories are unique, sometimes can seem like God is too out of this world to relate to us or even be believable. If you've ever wrestled with these thoughts that God might be too distant or that God can't relate with me, the book of John is for you. John writes at the very end of the book, he says, these stories are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. The sermon series through the book of John is to help us understand the true story of the God-man Jesus. God isn't just a thought. It's important. God isn't just a thought. God is not far away. He moved into the neighborhood. And by putting our full trust in who he really is, as we see him in the person of Jesus, we can have real and eternal life. By putting our trust in who he truly, really is, we can have eternal life. I want to welcome you guys into that. Today I'm going to move on from where my dad finished last week, or I guess where he starred last week. He mentioned some statistics, and I want to unpack those a little more for us today. I've been, uh, I've been just meditating. I've been digesting what he shared last week, that Jesus invites us to come and see. Uh, he comes, invites us to just come and share in his life. Um, the, the church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America is not known as a place where people can come and see Jesus. Um, The statistics just show that. Uh, We talked about, uh, this is from a Barna research study, 30% of people say attending church is important. 30%. Uh, It's three out of 10 people in America think that attending church is important. 40% are ambivalent about attending church. That means they could take it or leave it. And 30% saying it's not important at all. Of that 40%, which I want to focus on here, um, 16% say it's just empty rituals. And so we just do these motions, but it's really meaningless. It's it's similar to going and doing the wave at a baseball game. right? It's it's just part of what you do. Um, I don't do the wave. It's far too much energy. 31% say it's boring. 31% say church is boring. And 39% say they find God elsewhere. 
39% say, I'd, I'd rather go snowboarding because I probably have more of a spiritual experience you know, carving down a mountain than I do sitting and listening to somebody preach. Uh, Christianity is not known, especially, I would say, in church as being a place that people go and meet with God. Um, so I did a quick Google search. You know, that's an easy way to do your research these days. And I just said, is Christianity boring? And, um, and I got this, this uh, link to an, a website for an apologetics group. So apologetics are people like who defend the faith. And I know you can't read this, but I wanted to show you that I took a screenshot of this on my phone and I uploaded it here. And so Matt Slick, apparently that is his name, um, wrote uh, a response to Is Christianity Boring? And he says this, and it might help if you, if you read it like a personal ad, okay, like on a dating website. It says, then you haven't experienced it. No one who is a Christian will ever say that it's boring. How do you know? Have you tried it? There are millions of Christians who have a lot of fun being Christians. We do it with a lot less sin, and therefore, a lot less problems. (laughs) This is embarrassing. (laughs) Maybe it's only your problems that keep you from getting bored. What do you think we do all day? Sit around fireplaces and read Bibles? Question mark. We ski, we swim, play sports, read, and have friends and problems like everybody else. I don't know if he was saying that the problems like was part of the fun that Christians have, but um, Christianity is not boring, it's an adventure. Christianity boring is not boring, it's an adventure. Um, thankfully, there's a place where you could um, suggest corrections, and so I wrote in, I also offered you what I wrote. I, is it not up there? Okay. Um, it, it was the second slide. Is it not that? Yes, this is it. That's it. Okay. Uh, my suggested corrections. Please consider changing or taking down your article titled, Christianity is Boring. It is embarrassingly boring, meaning the article. Uh, it also says nothing about the foundation of true Christian joy, God. The article said nothing about God. It was just like, it's an adventure. We ski. <laughs> Oh, Psalm 16:11 says this, you make known to me the path of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasure at your right hand. The article would also be remiss to not offer an interpretation of the first point in the Westminster Catechism. The chief end of man is to love God and enjoy him forever. Right? This is what we believe. We don't believe that Christianity as just like an organization is the church. We don't believe that church is just inherently sweet because like you're a Christian and you go skiing on the weekends together. Uh, Christianity is awesome because God is good. And in relationship with him, he satisfies your needs and you can come to him and find your purpose in him. And so the big question we're going to be asking and answering today is why then does it seem sometimes like everything else is more interesting than following Jesus? Why does it seem sometimes that everything else is more interesting than following Jesus? Um, The answer is not saying, hey, we do stuff like the world. We go skiing. (laughs) It's an adventure. Uh, (laughs) 
Uh, that's not our response. The answer must show not just in words but in action what it actually looks like to follow Jesus. And to show that actually following Jesus does increase our joy. Um, if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to John 2. And, and I'm, what we're going to look at in, in John 2 is, is just we're going to walk with Jesus as he does his first miracle and, and see that our, the big idea that we're, we're talking about here, which is doing what Jesus says does lead to in, enjoying what Jesus does. So John 2, 1 through 6 says this, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother says to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And and let's just do the quick math here. That's about 180 gallons of liquid, soon to be turned into wine, which is scandalous. (laughs) Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim, all of them. Then Jesus told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. And he did not, <laughs> the funny thing is, if you read commentaries on this, they like really try hard to get around this. They're like, maybe just the one that the water was like drawn out of became wine. Maybe it was just 30 gallons. You're like, that's still quite a bit. <laughs> okay, uh, then Jesus said to the servant, Phil, did we already read this part? Yes. Next, next slide. Oh, verse 9. And Master of the Bank would taste the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants had drawn the water, uh, knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside, and he said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after. The guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers uh, and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. We're going to stay on this slide, so I want to look at verse 11 really quick. There's, there's two words here that are important as we, we go and take the whole story. And the first is, verse 11, it says signs and then glory. And, and this the word sign there is really important. Simply what that means is it, it is a moment, it's not, it's not a, the moment itself that it describes everything but is pointing to something else. So easiest way to think about this is like a signpost when you're, when you're driving. Whenever I'm driving back to Bremerton from a long trip, there's this, there's this sign 15 miles out that says 15 miles to Bremerton, and I hate that sign. <laughs> Because I'm just ready to be home. And it's like 15 miles left. And my spirits just sink. So, so the, the sign here is, is literally a sign of, every time this is used in the Gospels, it is, it is showing this meeting where, where heaven and earth are coming closer. A sign of the kingdom of God invading. 
right? And so it was the first of the signs, the first thing that the disciples noticed that something is changing, right? Um, and it's through which God reveals, Jesus reveals his glory, the easiest way to think of glory is the true quality of somebody. So your glory, the best glory you can have is by clearly being, representing the image of God. That's what you were made for. Your, your true glory is being a child of God who freely shows the image of God. The true quality, the true glory of Jesus shows who he is, shows that he's not only man, but he also is God. And that's what we're seeing through this story. So, starting from the very beginning, if you are following along in your notes, the first point I want to look at is um, we walk with Jesus into ordinary places. We walk with Jesus into ordinary places. The, the incredible thing about this, as my dad and I talk through this week and next week's sermon, is that there's two events that are somewhat similar, two ways he's revealing his glory. One at a wedding, and next week he's in a temple. So the first time Jesus reveals his glory, the first miracle Jesus does, is not in the context of where people are going to find God. It's in the context of a community event. God in the neighborhood. This is incredible. So in, in John 1, 14, where it says that the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood, the, the word literally is tabernacled there. It's the idea of when, when God gave Israel, way back in the Old Testament, a tabernacle that sat at the center of the camp and everything looked in towards where they could meet with God. It says, now, now Jesus himself come and has tabernacled among us and he's doing that in very ordinary places. A wedding that he's invited to with his mom. And, and, and the card, the RSVP card that said, who's your, who's your guest? He's like six disciples. And he just brings them along with him. And so him, him and his new buddies come to the wedding and things get a little awkward because, because uh, this is the second thing is knowing what Jesus is capable of. That's the second point. You know what Jesus is capable. So walk with Jesus into these ordinary places it's not that Jesus is just, God is not just showing up in these places that we call church gatherings. He's showing up in ordinary places. And so when his disciples go with him, his buddies, it gets weird because his mom knows what he's capable of. We see this in verse 3, and she says, she kind of pulls him aside, pulls Jesus aside, and she says, hey, they have no more wine. Now this is the first miracle Jesus has done. And so it's not like, um, Jesus, throughout his childhood, was like, oh, mom, I'll cook dinner tonight. <laughs> you know, that, that, that might lead to um, Mary going, hey, do you mind just like doing your thing? <laughs> uh, that's, that's not the case at all. Mary comes because she has, she, she's held, it says in Luke 2.19, as, as the, the uh, shepherds come and they, they worship Baby Jesus, and it says she treasures up these things and she ponders them in her heart. So for, for his whole life, watching him grow, she has been wondering when Jesus will go public with who he really is. The one whom the angels sang about. And maybe this is the time. This is only uh, one of, of only two times that Mary shows up 
in the Bible. Uh, not in the Bible, sorry, in uh, John, the book of John. And the first is this. The second is at the foot of the cross. It's amazing. Because the first time we see his glory revealed, and then we see his ultimate glory revealed in the cross. And these two times we see Mary show up. Um, it seems like here, even though Mary knows what Jesus is capable of, it seems like he, he kind of shuts her down. Um, he says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour is not come. And, and this, this says a lot here. I want to let you know that this, this greeting or this response of woman is not disrespectful. The wood, word here actually is a very respectful word. But what he is saying is, is this is not the time of revealing my ultimate glory. The time of ultimate revelation of his glory is at the cross. The second time we see Mary, and I'm just going to read for you. You can feel free if you have a Bible, you can follow with me. I'm going to read for you other times that he talks about his hour, and you can see the movement towards the cross. In John 7, verse 30, it says this, And they tried, these people who were surrounding Jesus, they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. In chapter 8, verse 20, it says, He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put, yet no one seized him, because his hour had not yet come. John twelve twenty three. John twelve twenty three. It says this. Jesus replied, "The hour has come for the Son to be glorified." Look at verse twenty seven in that same chapter. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this reason I came to this very hour. In the next chapter, chapter 13, verse 1, it says, It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. And then John 17, 1, Jesus praying to the Father before he would be arrested, says this, After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. So, so Jesus knows what to expect, knows the hour, knows how he will be fully glorified. And the fact is Mary doesn't know how Jesus will ultimately be glorified. Mary just knows what Jesus is capable of. And so, so she encourages then people to pay attention to him. And this is the beautiful part. She, she is willing to, to submit to what he is saying and, and then so the third point here is anticipating his provision. She doesn't know what that will look like, but she anticipates that he can and he will provide something. It was, it was very, very embarrassing to run out of wine or any provisions at a wedding. The incredible thing is if you, if you uh, read the laws back then, it was actually, you could get fined. Like they could, the police could show up and say, you don't got enough wine, here's your bill, Right? So it's actually probably cheaper to get cheap wine than to get fined for it. So, so anticipating his provision, Mary says this in verse 5, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever Jesus tells you. I don't know what it will be 
Maybe he'll be like, hey, go to 7-Eleven. Whatever he tells you, do that. And, and this shows courageous faith. Faith is this. Put the last, literally, these, the last point and this point together and you have faith. Faith is knowing what Jesus is capable of and, and uh, anticipating his provision. That's what faith is, knowing what Jesus is capable of and anticipating his provision. Um, I remember a long time ago when my dad was preaching on Hebrews 11 and he defined faith in this way. Faith is confidence in God and a conviction of who God is. And that's exactly this. Confidence in Jesus and a conviction of, of who he is. And so she anticipates his provision. Are you given to worry and fear? Are you given to worry or fear? Do you anticipate your future hopelessly? Are you failing to acknowledge his his presence and anticipate his provision? I think think we do the same thing, and Mary here is showing incredible faith and is inviting us really into the same thing. If I tell you, just do whatever he says, can you move forward with that same faith? The fourth point is this. Um, actually go and do what he says. Actually go do what he says. So Jesus is in this commonplace. Uh, Mary knows what he's capable of. And then she instructs him, do, hey, do whatever he says. And then he says something that kind of seems ridiculous. Take these four jars that aren't even used for wine. They're used for, it says, the, like purification, right? So washing people's hands and fill them up with water. Actually go and do what he says. And I think what this speaks to us is a lot of us um, treat the words of Jesus sort of like a, a buffet line. Um, a few of us really geek out when we stay at a motel and it says continental breakfast because we know maybe it has something like from every continent and you're just going to pick whatever you want. You're like, ooh, a waffle bar. Right? That's a new thing and I'm really excited that they've you know, improved the like Ego waffles to like actual flip over waffle irons. Those are awesome. And, and so we get excited about that because, you know, we don't want that option. I don't want just yogurt and granola. I would like waffles. And so this is what we do. This is a, I'm not getting distracted here. So we do the same thing when we come to the words of Jesus. Oh, I, I really like it when he talks. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you Rest. I really don't like the part where he says, hey, if your eye causes you to continually lust, pluck it out. <laughs> I'm going to take one over the other. Right? I, we, we read his words. We, we like his words that, that talk about us prospering. We don't like his words that say, give up everything you have and just go serve the poor. Give it up. Hold it lightly in your hands. And so the incredible thing, actually going and doing what Jesus says is something that we struggle with a lot more than we think. We're like, oh, I would have filled up those jars. But the interesting thing is this. Imagine what would have happened if the servants did not listen to what Jesus had said? What would we have missed out on? And I don't know. It's just a completely theoretical question. But but I want to ask you the same thing. What are people around you maybe missing out on because you aren't actually going and doing what Jesus says? I turned that one on you, didn't I? 
Now that's hard. Because <laughs> we, we like watching what Jesus does, but when we're invited to participate in it, I think we're a lot more hesitant. <laughs> when he's like, hey, you can show people my glory in ordinary situations. You can welcome them into my joy in very ordinary situations of life. If you would but, but follow me into those. See what I'm capable of and listen to what I'm going to say. So actually go and do what he says. Point six is this, be amazed at what he does. Be amazed at what he does. Some of us um, have tasted and seen. Some of us have tasted, like the, the master of the banquet, tasted the water that had been turned to wine. He realized, not realizing where it came from, he knew that it was better than anything else. Some of us have so tasted and seen the goodness of God. And yet we don't say, Hallelujah. <laughs> hallelujah is a simple expression just says, Praise the Lord. And, and so many of us from day to day are being carried along by the goodness of God. He's revealing stuff to us in His Word. <laughs> and yet, the hardest thing to come out of our mouths is, God, you are amazing. God, your, your mercies are from everlasting to everlasting. God, who am I that you have taken notice of me? And that's, that's what we're invited into. We know where it comes from, and yet still we're so hesitant to honor the one who does these things. And so I'm inviting you into the point seven. Believe what you see. I think a lot of us still still follow this idea. I'm not going to believe until I see, but you've seen, like you actually have. We have seen at this church, we have seen victory over cancer, victory over addictions, forgiveness and freedom from shame and past behavior, guilt in people's lives that just held them down and God freed us from that. We've seen acceptance and love. Some of you guys didn't even know what it meant to be in a family until you came to the Refuge Church and you felt love. Then after a while, you were like, but I, I still want more. And yet you aren't like learning to get. So what I'm just inviting you into is believe what you see. Like what you've experienced in the goodness of God that has been made known to you, been so clear to you. Stop making excuses and believe. All out. Go all in. Right? You've tasted and you've seen the goodness of God. It's made clear to you. So put your faith absolutely in Him. Absolutely in Him. And stop making excuses. And, and so the disciples, they, they did. They, we see a lot of, of decision making following this. But, but they do. They believe Jesus at this point and they, they follow him faithfully. We'll see in John 6. Jesus says some hard things and everyone leaves. And he says to the disciples, will you leave too? And they say, well, we, don't, we already sold everything. We don't have anywhere else to go. Like, I invite you into that life. It's not that all your questions are going to be answered right now. But if you, if you join Jesus and follow him, you will see his ultimate glory, which the disciples eventually did. The last point, I think, is the one that I, I needed the most in this. And the last point is this. Get away and rest with him. This is, I think, my favorite part of the whole, whole passage. 12. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother, and brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a couple days. 
After a while, they just went on vacation. <laughs> they turned one into one. Everything happened. And, and a lot of times, like, we think of, of Jesus' relationship with his disciples and them constantly on the move. And here, they weren't. They just went away and they stayed for a couple days. Like, maybe processing what just happened. Like, let's just talk about that. So, so why sometimes joy is not present in the church of Jesus Christ, I think, is because we try to move from, some, from like power moment to power moment to power moment, right? And sometimes Jesus is like, just take, take a break. Come away with me. Let me explain to you what I've just done, what you've seen. I want you to enjoy this with me. And I, and I want to invite you into that. Some of you serve a lot here. Some of you don't serve at all. Um, let's be honest. So, so some of us are really involved and some of us are less involved. And, and those who are super involved, like maybe you don't ever take a break. Maybe you, you need to take a break, okay? I didn't purposely look at Bianca. I, that just happened. And, and so, 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 <laughs> so some of us need to take a vacation and others maybe need to take less vacation so we can involve, be involved more in our community, right? Because we're never building those deep relationships because Sunday is always an option, right? And so I want to involve you uh, in this by believing what he says and, and digging your roots deep, not forgetting that at the heart of this is joy, right? That when we start doing what Jesus says, like Mary invited us into, hey, whatever he says, do that. When we do what he says, we begin experiencing the joy of what he does as he amazes us and reveals his glory to us. The glory of Jesus is beautiful, and it is this. Um, His glory is first revealed not in a large public act, but it is done by... Uh, by Jesus and only seen by a few people. It's seen by servants. The master of the banquet didn't even know what happened. It's seen by his disciples who are still deciding whether they want to believe in him or not. It's seen by his mother who, who is still wondering how will his glory ultimately revealed. Jesus shows his glory not by being served but by serving. And it's done in a very ordinary place. And so, so what does this look like for us as a church? How do we be a community, a church, in an ordinary city? Well, it's by doing ordinary things like going to work and having barbecues and playing in the park and going to the Blackberry Festival, spending time in a community group. But in those ordinary places, in those ordinary moments, knowing what Jesus is capable of, listening to what Jesus says, and then actually doing what he says and putting our full faith in him. And yes, taking times to rest in that. Guys, I just want to invite you into enjoying Jesus. Um, Church should not be a boring place. It should be a place that we're reminded of the goodness and the greatness of God, and we remind each other of that. So pray with me and we'll worship him together. Oh God, thank you for revealing yourself to us uh, on an ordinary day like today, showing how invested you are 
in ordinary situations like a wedding that Jesus and his buddies were invited to. You can show up at a family meal. You can show up at a, a meeting at work if we would listen to you and do whatever you say. God, give us ears to hear and the courage to respond to you by faith. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.